0: Your bets and then you pay the price the things we we'd like to talk about the road to consequences the timeline in 1976 through 1977 that led to the recording of said album um Obviously intertwined with that is the split of 10cc and Godly and Cream going off and doing this project on their own. We go back to How Dare You, which was the last album, the fourth, in a series of four that the original group released. Um, That was released in January of 1976. And immediately after that, they undertook uh, a tour, their last tour, a fairly extensive one of UK and Europe. That was February through April. Um, and then they took a break. Um, I believe what happened is that Eric and Graham were working on Strawberry South. Mm. Um, they'd, uh, they were renovating a studio in Dorking or about to, which, um, open later for business, open for business a little later on. Um, during that period, um, it's. There's not a lot of archival material, but as far as I could work out, this was the time when Godly and Cream were doing, quotes experimental gizmo recordings <laughs> back at Strawberry North. <laughs> um, about three months' worth of that. Um, oh.
1: And in the meantime, Graham and, and Eric were down, down south, kind of getting rigged up.
0: I think there. I think so. Uh, I'm I'm putting some pieces of the puzzle together here, and and I, I may be extrapolating um, mm. a, a bit more. Sure, but that 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 that's what I see as happening. Um, there was the last TCC gig on the 21st of August 1976 when uh, they played at the Nebworth Festival, which was mm. headlined by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, um, that was the the famous. Uh, um, incident where how can I delicately put this uh, a bystander jumped on the stage and well had a wank essentially in front of a <laughs> hundred thousand people um, shortly before a 10 came on stage the obviously things,
1: the things we do for love for
0: well um, yeah yeah <laughs> The origins of the 10TC name, which I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast will know, uh, arose from Jonathan King and uh, allegedly wasn't um, describing the uh, average male ejaculate Ejaculate. (laughs) of 9TC and then adding one to make uh, our band a little bit better. But the irony is that 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 was a very... um, uh, theatrical performance piece based on the origins <laughs> of the name, perhaps, but uh, so there's a bit of irony there. Uh, going back, I
1: didn't know that story. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: yes, we digress. <laughs> we,
0: we, we digress. Um, so that was the last gig uh, that the band played. Interesting that they debuted Good Morning Judge at that gig. Mm. Um, so Eric and Graham had clearly been writing material for the, for the next album. Um,
1: interestingly enough, just, just on that, w- was the, the infamous people in love already kind of knocking around at that time?
0: It was knocking around. We're going to come on to that very shortly. Great. Um, because just a little after that gig, a couple of weeks after, um, Paul McCartney hosted his, uh, first Buddy Holly party stroke weekend stroke promotion. Hmm. Um, which was, and I've dug this out of the internet on September the seventh, nineteen seventy-six. This was um, uh, arising from the fact I think McCartney had just um, uh, acquired the rights to the Buddy Holly publishing catalogue. Uh, was I think the first of his acquisitions, mm. which uh, which now number um, loads. He's got a fantastic publishing empire. Mm. Uh, it's kind of
1: a very Michael Jackson thing to do, that isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's based on. Uh, it's probably based on the fact his acquisition of all these publishing rights that that he, of course, lost famously lost his his own mm. publishing rights or his and John's rights, uh, which went through many owners, including Michael Jackson, as you as you say. Um, this um, uh, event hosted by McCartney was. Uh, had a lot of people attending it. Uh, Elton was there, Eric Clapton, uh, all of Queen, possibly minus Freddie, all of 10CC, there's a Steve Harley. There's, there's a great picture, I don't know whether you've seen it, or a series of pictures of them all gathered, gathered together.
1: I think I have, I didn't realise what the context yeah,
0: was. Yeah, is there his, with his droopy moustache, um, and the 10CC oh, guys oh, are, are all there. You can just see Brian May's curly head hair in the background. <laughs> uh, it was a bit of a rushed photo. You can't quite see everybody. But it's, um, it's interesting from, from our uh, perspective, though, because um, I think that was the first time that the four guys had reconvened for a while. Um, right. And um, just as an aside, I, fa- I found this information on, of all things, I think it was like Stephen Bishop's website, you know Stephen Bishop I really, or Bish
1: really some of his 70's
0: stuff. Yeah, he's a songwriter um, and he went to the event, I think with Eric Clapton and he also said that was the same day uh, that Clapton wrote Wonderful Tonight about Patti Boyd while yeah. he was waiting for her to, to try on lots of dresses mm. before they went down Anyway, coming back to the, the main theme, this was the event where uh, the 10CZ guys reconvened, and according to uh, Kev's um, autobiography, Space Cake, they immediately went back up to Strawberry North, and that's when they sat round the piano, and um, Eric and Graham played them, The Things We Do for Love and People in Love, and uh, and Total Kevin's...
1: anathema for, for Kevin Godley in particular, wasn't it?
0: Well, People in Love, yes. I mean that 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 was a hundred you know 180 degrees different direction to um where Cream and particularly Godly, wanted to go the things we do for love though oh, it's that's a great, great it's a pop great song. song full of fantastic you know chordal movement and di- and dare I say it
1: controversially, is isn't, isn't it as good or better a uh, a song than any of the individual songs on consequences well, undoubtedly I I'd, I'd,
0: I'd put it right up there but um but, you know, Kev was never um, never one to hold his opinions in check and he said he hated it. But we have to remember, flipping that around, Eric Stewart hated the Dean and I. Well,
1: that's right. It was it was, <laughs> too South Pacific-y, wasn't it, for it? And we'll come on to that a bit later.
0: Yeah, OK. I
1: find it all a bit... I don't know. I think Kev, dare I say it, is obsessed with newness, isn't he? And I think I think, when it, whenever he walks into a studio, or walks into a studio, if it wasn't new and groundbreaking and inventing a, a brand new genre, I, I think he, he, perhaps both of them, they would just chuck the idea away and start again. Because everything had to be fresh and different, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I think you're right. That, that's, that's just the way they operate, which is, which is great. And it also means that in terms of longevity, I don't think 10CC could have lasted. No. Um, but certainly People in Love was a rather pedestrian track. It's, mm. it's certainly conventional. That's conventional. Yeah, um, not,
1: certainly not It's not on my list. Um, no. But then, you know, horses for courses.
0: Yeah. Now, they did attempt to... Well, they did record a version of this, um, which has been officially released. Um... Uh, the interesting thing about this, it's not too dissimilar in, uh, in the, structurally from, from the release version. And I think it may even contain elements of what was on the finished version. Yeah. What they did, which was conceptually a brilliant idea that probably would have worked a couple of years ago when they were working as a team. I think they, they split out the tracks. What would it have been there, 24 track? Was, was Strawberry 24-track at that stage, or still 16?
1: Yeah, I think they may have had two 24-track machines so they, they could do all that mad bouncing. OK. Doing things like I'm Not In Love. I think they had two machines.
0: OK, well, assuming it was 24-track recording, they, they allocated six tracks each, I believe, on the multi-track. Ah. Uh, I think this is the way it worked. And they recorded blind. They knew they had timestamps on there, so they knew the the structure of the song and the tempo. Yeah. And the four of them... I believe, re- recorded their contribution separately, which is actually a wonderful idea that, that could have worked <laughs> but sounds a complete mess in this case, Yeah, particularly in the, the centre section uh, which is, is Lowell's um, <clears throat> guitar piece uh, and also the, the vocals from uh, Kevin Lowell. You can see the it's unbelievably weird, mm. uh, particularly when sitting atro- atop that conventional love song yeah um so that just
1: are eric sort of slide guitars and things on there (coughs) that sort of thing
0: well that's what was on the finished version i think what we're hearing rock almost yeah but what what we're hearing on this um original version is an even more left field guitar piece which i think is is lol Judging by what we know about the construction of the track.
1: Okay, so is is it just a mess or or is it salvageable? Is it interesting?
0: Uh, Shall we listen to it? Yeah.
1: Great research, by the way.
0: OK. The Mark Lewison of 10cc, perhaps. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, I think things happen fast from that point. Uh, again, going back to Kev's autobiography, he realises that was the point at which they couldn't carry on anymore. Yeah. Now, what happens next in uh, maybe uh, September, October... Um, and we know that we know that the next events happen quickly because the things we do for love was released by the two-man TenCC on December the third, so it's only it's less than three months between this uh, uh, disastrous um, sitting around the piano and 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 TenCC Mark II being back up and running again.
1: Can I just jump in there, Paul? Sorry to interrupt, but. We've heard, haven't we, from, from one or two sources, I think Eric Stewart, in, mm. his, in his autobiography, wasn't there a point where 10CC was three versus one?
0: Oh, very much so.
1: Yeah, and that, that Eric was sort of summarily sacked in a meeting up in, up in Manchester. Yeah. And Graham, did, did Graham actually join Kevin Lowell to work on what would become consequences.
0: Yeah, it's it's um, it's not one of the best um, episodes of the 10TC story. That mm. from from a personnel point of view, it's their kind of peak best moment, perhaps. Hmm. Um, Eric's autobiography um, goes into this meeting in some detail. I think it's to his credit that up until up until this point, he hadn't ever really mentioned it before. That it it was alluded to in um, in the book, uh, the worst. Bound in the world, but in his autobiography, uh, The Things I Do for Love, um, he, he explains how he was he, he was um, invited up to a meeting at, at Strawberry uh, or in Manchester. Um, it was sat down at a table with the other three guys, and he says the Manchester management, he doesn't name Harvey Lisberg, but I mm. imagine it must have it's been, be him, it must have it? been at least. Harvey and his company, uh, and his uh, maybe some other guys, I yeah. don't know. And he was sacked. Mm. Uh, he was told that Graham, Lol, and Kevin don't want to work with you anymore. And he thought they were joking, and then he, he uh, understandably stumbled outside and, and went back home, uh, went back to the south, uh, south of England, back to his house, told his wife, and was in a state of shock. No, say. I don't think Godley and Cream, um, I don't, uh, who knows, I, we weren't there, were we? But one imagines that perhaps Graham had a, a stronger bond, obviously he went back further in a way with, with Kevin and Lowell. Um,
1: yeah, and he was, he, he was doing some writing with, with Kev, wasn't he, Graham? Yeah. They got you know, quite a few collaborations, and of course they, they had unfinished business, didn't they, with their, with their projects sort of 10, 13 years ago yeah that they kind of rekindled that fledgling partnership didn't they
0: yeah that that's right whether Goldman just kind of backed what he thought was the right horse at that at that stage yeah. uh, there was obviously a lot of um, um, politics uh, probably driven largely by the management um, who knows um,
1: I think I mean it's just for me sorry to interrupt him but a real shame great songwriter I mean to my taste, he's not quite up there with Kevlon and Graham in terms. Do you of think a, so? In terms of his the, the the depth of his output, he was a brand new songwriter, really, wasn't he? With with Ten CC, I think he began songwriting as Ten CC. Yes. Um, and and so he rose to to brilliance very very quickly. So his body of work, I guess, is less impressive to me than, than perhaps the other two. But all four of them, for me, uh, wonderful songwriters. Oh, yeah. But. but My main thing that that really sticks in my craw about that decision to get rid of of Eric is that at the very least he could have been the recording engineer for consequences or uh, the next phase of, 10 CC's project. Maybe not as a member of the the band or not one of the songwriting crew. And Eric was a genius in the studio. And and we forget that it's a lot of, of, of the wonders of of the 10 CC material is down to how brilliant Eric Stewart was in the studio. Uh, it's certainly, in my opinion, I,
0: I agree with you. But from my point of view, he's, he is the equal of uh, of any of the other three in terms of songwriting. Mm. I mean, don't forget, he he'd written other. <clears> the <throat> dynamic dynamics quite interesting. I mean, lead vocal wise and writing wise, Lol particularly and Lol and Kev dominated the, the early hit singles. Yeah, but very quickly, Eric and Graham came to the fore as a mm. writing team, and Eric um, was. Um, uh, the lead singer on I I don't know had the stats but uh, uh, by the time they got to how dare you the most recent hits mm. had He'd had a hand in all of them, or the most recent songs. Yeah, and he, he and was the lead, lead singer
1: on 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 most of that that bu- bunch of his. Yeah, notably,
0: I'm not in love. Of and course, he was, a, but,
1: and he was the heart troll of the band as well.
0: Yeah, he was the one who ended up in Looking and Jackie <laughs> and things like that. I mean, yeah. you know, love them, but the the other three weren't ever going to kind of.
1: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, maybe there's a bit of peak, a bit of jealousy going on there.
0: Well, he he again, he refers to that in his in his uh, autobiography. But I, I think it I think it was. Um, a muddled but genuine artistic break or attempted a break mm. by Godley and Cream. Yeah. And, and temporarily they took Graham Goldman in the slipstream with them but after that initial meeting he was um, he was phoned no more than two weeks later uh, and told that the, the situation had changed and that Godley and Cream were leaving 10cc and uh he and Graham should carry on as a duo. Um, it, it, it really must have hurt. I mean,
1: I mean, both I, of them would have been seriously pissed off by that, wouldn't they? And Graham would have f- surely felt really embarrassed, going kind of almost crawling back to Eric and saying, oh, "I've changed my mind."
0: Yeah, I think so. And and, and although you know the the two man 10TC went on almost immediately to a lot of success and yeah. continued for many years. I think this. Uh, explains quite a lot about the animosity that that eventually developed between the two of them um, um, in in the credits to the autobiography, very pointedly, Eric Stewart mentions a lot of people including Kevin Lowell, but he doesn 't mention Graham Goulburn, which is very sad, considering what the two of them the two of them let alone the four of them you know created Absolutely. but it, um I think, uh, again, f- from his autobiography, Stuart was pretty pragmatic about what he had to do. I mean, quite rightly, he didn't, he didn't want to, to uh, be shut out from the 10TC brand, so he kind of just um, put all that to the back of his mind. Be quiet, big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. And and just carried on working immediately mm. with with Graham Goldman and of course they recorded Deceptive Bends uh, and, and and you know preceding that the, the wonderful single the things we do for love yeah and they were out of the, they were out of the blocks there by the end of December yeah so so Godley and Cream, you know had had created this this um, like when any band breaks up or breaks in two it, it, it's going to be a difficult situation plus yeah. of course you had the fact that um, Eric's um, wife, um, is Lowell's wife's sister, mm. uh, and um, happy to report, both those marriages are still are still um, intact to this day. Great. And they meant they were able to build the bridges eventually. But mm. a, d- a difficult time for all concerned.
1: Sure. Just a, a little footnote on on deceptive bends. One of the, one of the reasons I like deceptive bends, even though I'm not a big fan of of much after that to be honest, right, uh, is that it's kind of like a vestige of, of, of Kevin Lulness to it, <laughs> isn't there? There's a playfulness and a quirkiness, a bit of left field stuff going on. It's very, very varied.
0: Yeah, honeymoon uh, in B-Troop yeah, and I bought it. a flat yeah. guitar tutor.
1: Yeah, I, lo- I love the, the, the humour in it. And I wonder if that was a conscious thing, that they they kept a, a familiar element of, of, of wackiness.
0: That's a really good question. I, I, I don't, I don't know whether it was conscious or whether simply that they were so influenced by mm. each other.
1: Yeah, they were steeped in each other, weren't they, somewhere? Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, the influence on Godly and Cream is, is perhaps a little harder to detect, but it, but it must surely have, have, have been there as well. Yeah. But dare I say it, I, I feel it's a bit plastic, 10cc. <sighs> uh, well, there are probably many more Deceptive Benz fans and there are Consequences Indeed. fans. Indeed, I mean the, the the sales figures bear that out,
1: <laughs> but I've been persecuted personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, each their own. I, lo- I love Deceptive Bends, but it, they, yeah, there's something. There's there's a kind of there's an authenticity as a sort of 10cc snob. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the four of them together. Yeah, and, there's a, a, and a, a, a call that. A, a, 10cc snob, if you like, but there's something missing, and I feel that they're a bit self consciously trying to fill the void. But that's just my opinion, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for for all my sort of favouritism for Kevin Loll, I guess, gun to my head, it would be, I'm I'm a Kevin Lollist, even though I love (laughs) the other two. In a 100 years time, it's gonna be I'm Not In Love, that's that's still standing, isn't it, as, as the monument. And it'll always be one of the recording classics in terms of its innovation and its beauty, and it's just that unique sound. Uh, great song, wonderful song, but arguably it's Kevin Lowell's input into that with that that amazing use of of multi-track harmony on on those individual tape loops whizzing around mic stands all over the, the studio. That it's that that turns it from a brilliant song into a, a timeless classic, wouldn't you say?
0: Absolutely, uh, and it's Kev's. Um, Deconstruction. Uh, he just what he wanted to make it different, different, different. It's his, his idea to do the voices. His idea to put in a bass guitar solo, mm. um, you know, which isn't a wild idea when you think of a bass guitar solo, but it, it, it fits seamlessly into the picture.
1: Uh, oh, it's a beautiful. I mean, it's McCartney-esque, isn't it? Yeah, that lovely plummy sound. I think Grant Goldman's
0: great bass player. Very underrated bass player you see those live clips of him all through the career but particularly early on yeah. uh, you know with that, that great Rick Rickenbacker sound, percussive but really melodic <laughs> <laughs> fantastic, yep yeah. And Loll's
1: doing a lot of that stuff on Consequences, I, I, I think Graham Goldman maybe subconsciously fed into Lowell's imagination a lot of the, the bass parts, in The Flood for example I think you hear Graham Goldman's sort of bass style.
0: Right, right.
1: But we can look at that... uh...
0: We know a song about that, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) So at this stage... the, the latter part of 1976, as far as I can gather, as the split was decided, if, if you like, during this tumultuous period in, uh, let's say, September or early October, that was the point at which um Godley and Cream properly committed to working on Consequences. and They started recording Side One, um, which took them six months to record side one i found there's some great information on the 10tc fan club site i managed to find scans of the original consequences press release
1: i can't wait to see that you've been talking about well that. it
0: will it will will make your eyes go a bit squiffy because the, the, the resolution isn't <laughs> that squiffy good. already but. Yeah, well yeah okay um and it, it got some really good granular factual detail about mm. uh, the nitty-gritty of, of the way the, the order in which things were done Brilliant. so um yeah, the first side took approximately 6 months to I'm record. I'm not
1: surprised by that. I mean, it's so it's so rich, isn't it?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. And as you as you said in the previous episode, they started with the, the burial scene, yeah. I think, and the the wind section. Um <clears throat> and uh, of course we've got uh, Paul Gambaccini's uh diary notes in the consequences booklet to to sort of to to, to cross-check against this timeline. Yeah. Um he says that he was played the burial scene on October the 12th um, and by November the 4th um, uh, he's um, uh, talking about the split. I, th- I think the split was offens- officially announced in October 76. Mm. So end of, end of 1976 or through to the end of 1976 you've got uh, Kevin Lowell working 17 hours a day as they describe it with Martin Lawrence up at Strawberry North uh, with a couple of weekends off <laughs> uh, yeah. creating side one of consequences wow.
1: Tell you what's been, been great Paul over the, the, the last couple of weeks since we put out the first podcast is that there, there's been so much great feedback and loads of really interesting contributions from people on the, face, the Facebook groups you know 10CC and Godly and Crean groups uh, stuff that we'd missed or had forgotten or, or didn't know uh, and that's been that's been so so helpful so uh, about half of what i've been spouting in in this episode has been thanks to our <laughs> more knowledgeable friends out there so yeah we, we just wanted to really express our appreciation to everyone who's kind of chipped in with stuff it's brilliant
0: yeah it's wonderful because we're such nerds we probably would record this into a vacuum anyway even if nobody (laughs) was listening but it's nice to know that we do have a a small but perfectly formed audience so (laughs) absolutely thank you very much anybody who's listened and and or contributed yeah wonderful
1: (laughs) hip been listening to The Consequences Podcast, produced by Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy.
0: Thanks for listening.